Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Good morning. In Niger, the country's elected president, Mohamed Bazoum, is still being held away from public view by a group of soldiers who belong to his presidential guard who say they've carried out a coup. This is the seventh coup in this part of Africa in the last three years. The people behind the coup say they're doing this because they cannot see their country continuing to deteriorate. That part of our continent has been under intense attack from ISIS or Al-Qaeda militants who've been taking ground and territory from elected governments. One of the reasons the coup plotters say they've taken power in Niger is because they believe that France has been playing too big a role in their country and that they've been trying to stop the neocolonialism of their state. In the meantime, there is a much bigger power play between the United States and Russia. Russia appears to be represented by the Wagner military group here. At the same time, this coup in Niger happened when Bazoum was about to replace the head of his presidential guard, General Omar Chiani. In the meantime, the regional group ECOWAS had said that it would intervene militarily to restore democracy to Niger, while the military governments of Mali and Burkina Faso have said that if ECOWAS countries attack Niger, they would see it as a declaration of war on their country. So then how did this happen, and could we be looking at a major conflict which will run for a very long time on our continent. Well, first this morning, we were hoping to speak to someone from Bamako who's been fitting, watching the story very closely, battling to get through on that international line at the moment. The moment that we do have them, uh, we will bring them to you. Then you'll hear from the Africa analyst Kofi Kwako, and then Faith Mabir is a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. We start then with Kofi Kwako, the Africa analyst and senior research fellow at the University of Johannesburg Center for Africa-China Studies. Kofi, good morning and thanks for your time. Good morning to you and to your audience. What was the situation in Niger before the coup? What kind of position was President Bazoum in? He had been democratically elected, but Niger is a very poor country, and I imagine because of what we're seeing in the Sahel, a very difficult country to govern. Yes, indeed. He was elected uh, uh, democratically, but there were also some suspicion that the the elections were a little bit uh, rigged, as in most African countries. Um, every time there's an election, there's a whole bunch of suspicion. But what is really important is that he was elected and he was running a country with a great support from France. But, of course, uh, we know the situation in, uh, in Niger. It's a country, like many African countries, especially in West Africa, with a legacy of coups because of the clear um, anger or at least uh, the fact that most people want to be in power. But systematically i think what's really important is that the 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 most important issue that's usually not discussed or at least dismissed is uh foreign inter uh forest foreign interest in most of these countries and niger is not a way it's not really uh it's one of these kind of countries where foreign interventions and foreign interests are very very important so french supporting uh bazoum has made it really powerful for him to use a position to especially also uh, uh, deal with his opponents, and that's not reported as much. Uh, for example, opposition leaders being put in jail, um, you know, the, the free speech not quite easy, but most important, two things, as the uh, those who took power uh, highlighted. The first one is a deteriorated uh, situation, security situation in the country, and the second one, basically, as they say, poor governance. By poor governance, they understand that the resources of the countries were not used for 
the country itself. But finally, and most important, something that's now being talked about is what's usually called resource nationalism. And you're going to hear that more and more. And the reason is now most nationalist Africans want their resources to be used and help their country rather than the outside. There have been protesters on the streets of Niger supporting the coup, accusing France of dominating their country. So from what do you say, Kofi, do they have a strong case to say that? Yes, they do. <laughs> and I think this is exactly the point. And we've seen that uh, mainstream international media has spun this thing as if, um, you know, the people in Niger were not really for the uh, military junta. And this is really, it seems a bit uh, counterintuitive. But this is what's been happening across the Sahel from uh, the uh, Central African Republic, which is not even talked about, to Mali, to Burkina Faso, to Guinea, and perhaps other places where now there's potential for anger, not just the military, but the trend is showing that there's a great um, sort of uprising of population, very, very angry at France and the former colonial power, and then asking to be uh, uh, heard, but not only that, but get France out of there. And the military, which is probably the last resort of power these people have, is taking advantage of this anger. Um, can, so, so, as I say, country, the, the country of Niger has very difficult problems. Can the people who've taken power really try and resolve those problems? Or is it a power grab? Or is that not really the issue at all? It's a combination of all the above that you just mentioned. And for them, it's at the heart of what's really their country's about, not just the present, but the future. It's really inconceivable and almost intolerable, and I would even say criminal, that these regions and these countries, especially Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, having so much resources, but can't even develop one thing, one, one uh, story that's been told around is that uh, one out of three light bulbs that light up France is fueled by uranium of, uh, of Niger. While the people in Niger are really in the dark, they don't have enough electricity. But what is important is that the military is using all these combinations to position itself, and it seems to have a strong backing for the civilians. If ECOWAS now, there was this threat that ECOWAS would invade, and this is driven really by Nigeria. Nigeria provides, I think, 70% of Niger's electricity. If ECOWAS were to invade, what kind of conflict would we have? Would we really have different country, different armies fighting against each other? And we've got uh, Mali and Burkina Faso saying they would see that as a declaration of war on them. I mean, that would surely be a terrible outcome. Indeed, you're right. This is a terrible outcome. In fact, we should be worried that one of the things is to see Africans fighting against Africans, which could have a geopolitical also tone. Behind them, you have France, and then you have the United States, which we haven't talked about. We've got uh, two powerful and large bases, not just of drones, but also of uh, troops in that region, in the country. And this kind of war could really spin off. We have no idea what could happen. And it is extraordinary for one of the first times, two, three countries are now ganging together, what I call the coalition of the willing, to fight against any military interventions intervention against Niger. So this is very, very concerning for us. Do you believe that Mali and Burkina Faso would get involved or is it an empty threat? They're, no, it's not a bluff. They will get involved one way or another because they know if Niger has been really dealt with, 
they will be dealt with on that turn. So they're really organizing themselves to at least to send a signal to people who are going to be uh, attacking them, or at least attacking Niger, to, be, to create a war that nobody wants in that region. Kofi Kwako, thank you very much indeed. Africa Analyst and Senior Research Fellow at the University of Johannesburg Centre for Africa-China Studies. You with SFM, your mediated conversation continues, 19 minutes to 9 the time. Fahir Rahman Kone is the head of the Sahel Project at the Institute for Security Studies. Fahir Rahman, good morning and thank you for your time this morning. Good morning. How important was the support of the US to President Bazoum in Niger? How important is the United States to his government? Uh, yes, the United States provides uh, several hundred million uh, uh, dollars in aid, particularly humanitarian aid, and uh, also uh, and they have like uh, 1,000 soldiers deployed uh, in, the, in the country uh, for, for the fight against the other group. Uh, the the, the, the White Friends uh, ordered the suspension of its direct aid and the uh, evacuation of its national, uh, as well as the return, the United States has at this stage decided uh, uh, neither. So uh, Washington is give full support to the firm, um, to the de- declaration of ECOWAS uh, on Sunday. She, they, 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 they said that they will fully support if uh, there is, uh, I would say, an action taken by ECOWAS. And uh, uh, Niger is a key country for United States uh, because of its military bases on uh, on the area. Why did this coup happen now? Was it about, as I understand it, there was a, a decision taken by President Bazoum to remove the head of the presidential bodyguard, General Chiani, who had been the head of the presidential bodyguard before Bazoum became president. Was it about that decision? Was that the tipping point or the trigger? Or was there another reason why this coup happened now? Yes, and it is one of the most evoked assumptions uh, is that uh, uh, this must be, uh, I can say, uh, Russell in the dissension within the elite leader. Uh, Rimmel pointed uh, to Bazoum's desire to to free uh, the how to say to free himself from the his predecessor Chani. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Yusufu. Uh, so Chani was considered as a close a closer of Yusufu. So many observer uh, uh, said uh, many observer uh, said that the dismissal of uh, Chani was one of the acts of. Uh, of the first the dismantling of the influence of Bazoum and of Yusuf on uh, on Bazoum, and so uh, the the as the Chinese anticipated uh, it's due. But really, uh, whatever the reason, there must be relieved that uh, it's happened in a context is a very deep uh, socio-economic context, uh, which have many frustrations with the population. Uh, will take advantage of the situation to support the junta. So there is this problem between Chani and uh, also uh, between uh, Yusufu and, uh, and, and Bazoum, uh, but uh, this took place in a very dire socioeconomic context. We've seen people on the streets of Niger showing their support for the coup and for the army, but Bazoum was elected. So does he have strong support as well? Are there people there who support him in this? 
uh, not sure that he will. Uh, first, mobilization for, for him has been repressed by the military. And secondly, the increase of number of coups d'etat in the region shows that uh, uh, the so-called democratic elections are no longer a true indicator of the legitimacy and performance of the elite. Uh, so to understand this popular mobilization, which has been uh, observed both times, uh, yes, in the coup in Mali and Burkina Faso, and now what we spend in, in Niger, uh, we need to look at of the uh, government deficit in those countries. These countries have long had weak economic performance, that have a system of governance paralyzed by corruption, favoritism and clientelism that prevent uh, fair and equitable public policies. So the, the deficits are at the heart of the frustration and hunger among the population. Uh, when you see it's a very young population with average 20, uh, and which is composed of 20% of the overall population. So uh, it is, this, it is uh, there are people who are mobilizing in the streets, demanding a paradigm of shift and uh, uh, a form of governance that will be uh, beneficial to them. Uh, that explains. So if there are people mobilizing for Bazoum, most of the people in the, in the, in the country, uh, to my view, is uh, are mobilizing against the return of his power. Um, Nigeria is a key key role player in all of this. It's the biggest member of ECOWAS, has the biggest economy. Its president, a new president, President Tinubu, is very against coups, if I remember correctly. He himself was deposed in a coup many years ago. They also supply 70% of Niger's electricity, and they've now cut off that electricity to Niger. Does that have a big impact on all of this as well? I mean, is Nigeria the key player? Yeah, yeah. Such a turn will certainly have an impact on, on Niger's fragile economy and uh, could accelerate the road the population support uh, uh, for, the, for the military leaders. Uh, however, uh, the immediate impact on the population must be put into perspective. Uh, we know that the rate of access of, to electricity uh, was 30% in the, in the country. Uh, this decision could uh, firstly produce the opposite effect by increasing the patriotic determination of the population around the military who, uh, as we, we can see, uh, fully plays the card of popular mobilization. Um. Is there, and I, I hesitate to ask this question, but we know that the borders of our continent were drawn by Europeans, Berlin Conference, etc. Um, and that means that the borders don't necessarily represent where different groups of people live. Is there an ethnic dimension at all to the situation in Niger, how Nigeria and other countries relate to it, or is that not a factor? Uh, sorry, come again, please. Is there, a, is there a, a, a question of the languages people speak? Is there an ethnic dimension to how different countries are responding to this in that part of the continent? Uh, yes, uh, the, the, most, most of the can, can, countries, Niger is a, a French-speaking country and uh, Nigeria uh, and, and English, but the Ethnic groups are across the borders, and they are the same people. And, but unfortunately, 
uh, I, I think the, the using the mobilization of the community leaders uh, could be also, at my point of view, one of the measures that Equatius play on uh, to try to solve the, the, the issue. Fahir Rahman Konet, thank you very much indeed. Head of the Sahel Project at the Institute of the Security Studies. In a moment, Faith Mabira, the coup in Niger. We'll talk about the fight, the sort of contestation between some of the European or global powers in this. 11 minutes now. Mediated Conversation on SAFM. Continue your Mediated Conversation this morning, nine minutes to nine, on the coup in Niger and the implications of it. Faith Mabira is a senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Faith, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning to the listeners. Um, there seems to be a great power rivalry going on here. So France is obviously a big player. The U.S. was backing Bazoum. After the coup, the head of the Russian Wagner Group, Yevgeny Prigozhin, said he supported the coup. How much of this, or how is this rivalry between the U.S., Russia, and somewhere in the middle of this France caught up in what's happening in Niger? Uh, thank you, uh, Stephen. I think it's important to begin um, as a context been provided by uh, the previous speakers about um, particularly the kind of factors that um, sort of worked together to produce what we're seeing as the seventh coup in, in the region in the past um, three years or so. But in saying that, why I'm bringing up is because um, we have to have um, appreciation of the proximate causes that led up to this. Um, in saying that, despite the, the governance issues, the deteriorating security situation, there's also increasingly um, geopolitical stakes and the geop- possibility of a geopolitical conflagration in the area, particularly just um, um, as a result of the, the convergence of a couple of, um, some would say, security imperatives, but also broadly um, ideological and um, broad economic um, incentives converging um, um, in, in the, the uh, Niger uh, situation. So in saying that, I think France here is a key factor because as has been mentioned, France draws about 20% of its uranium um, from Niger. And um, as a result of the, the disruptions brought about by the Kuwait will suddenly, um, suddenly have an impact on, on, on the ability to force that key resource from, um, from the country. But, but also place that in the broader context of um, a, a pattern of what can be seen as um, an erosion of um, France Afrique or the French sphere of influence broadly across the region um, and this growing uh, sentiment and protest against um, um, what some would say uh, French neocolonial designs um, across the, the Sahelian um, countries and its, and its former colonies in West Africa. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm keen here to point out that in as much as we've seen protests uh, sort of happening in Miami, for instance, uh, and some uh, demonstrators uh, brandishing Russian flags, we shouldn't automatically um, equate that with um, strictly or direct Russian involvement um, and, um, in, in matters of the coup. I think for me, it's a case of a, of a, of a very um, convenient sort of narrative, a sign of the times, that even the military leaders and the military juntas in this case are able to tap into the sentiments, and in this case, not only the anti-French and the, and the anti-neocolonial neocolonial sentiments, and maybe being able to ride that particular narrative, this desire for increased agency, increased self-rule and sovereignty among the population, and 
showing the kind of uh, footprint that perhaps um, Russia and Russian interests have been able to capitalize in, in the West African sphere. So I think that that is what is uh, playing out. But in saying that um, there is um, an interesting dimension and in, in the, in the, the, the risks of escalation are pretty high because um, as you asked um, earlier about the, the who's really driving the, the ECOWAS um, drive for war for for military intervention to reinstate Bazoom. Um, from some quarters, it is, it's increasingly being seen as um, the collective West, particularly at the behest of France, um, using, for instance, ECOWAS now under under Nigeria's leadership, almost as client states or client patrons, to um, sort of enact their interest in the region. So that that I think is where we are we're beginning to see it now morphing more and more into a geopolitical contest. Um, in the meantime, we also have this insurgency in the Sahel um, by Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Islamic State. Um, and that, I suppose, has been putting pressure on lots of states in that area. Is that a factor in Niger too? Yes, um, without without question. I mean, over the years we've seen, and, and here um, I, I don't want to go too much into the details, but we, as I mentioned previously, there, there was a lot of um, backlash against very long drawn um, foreign military presence in the Sahel, particularly because the counterterrorism operations were not yielding the the transformative outcomes that had been expected over the decades. So we increasingly, what we, we've seen is that the jihadists have morphed and they've they've um, adapted their tactics in 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 in, in the, and this has actually played out in the sense of um, the deteriorating security situation as a result of the jihadist violence. So increasingly, when um, France was forced to to um, ultimately draw down or pull out its forces from, for instance, Mali, it found a, um, Niger um, a willing host state for its forces. And increasingly, when you look at the, the epicenter of jihadist violence, it's that tri-state area, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger. Now the threat coming closer to home for Niger in its Tilabri region, which is borders um, Mali and, and, and the Burkina Faso. So that that particular security situation is, is being uh, felt by the populace. And now when you um, sort of pair that um, alongside with the the, the the more underlying causes, the, the governance issues, the the, the breakdown in the social contract, the socioeconomic conditions, then you, be, you begin to, to, to have a perfect storm for the kind of military takeover that we've seen playing out in, in not only Niger, but in its neighbors as well. What we're seeing then in that entire area is a it's a sort of hollowing out of the state and a weakening of democracy such as it was. We're seeing, um, we're, we're seeing basically people taking power and hanging on to power through a gun. Yes, uh, but it, but what is interesting is the way it's being portrayed. So, in as much as we see the protests, it's for me it's the narrative at play that that's um, rather telling, because when you look at, um, I think it was uh, as early as last month, when you look at the the, the surveys done by um, groups like, for instance, for Barometer, is testing the kind of uh, support among the population for democracy. Um, as it emerges, a lot of them um, feel that even the the, the so-called democratic movements, for instance, the Zooms, were largely performative um, um, in, installments. Um, they were not necessarily delivering um, on the key needs of governance that, that the population needs. Hence, there's almost been a, a tilt towards preference um, even for autocratic regimes or military-led regimes to the extent that, for instance, they're able to deliver on the public goods that the population so desperately needs. Is there any way to 
uh, improve the situation rather than make it worse? Is there, you know, one or two key figures? Is there some clever ne- negotiation or diplomacy that someone can engage in here? Um, ECOWAS has been trying over the past few, uh, past week or so to send a couple of delegations. They sent N- N- uh, Nigeria's uh, former president there um, to try and talk. The Chadian president was there to try and, and talk to the coup, the coup leaders, but this has really not um, yielded any meaningful outcomes. So I think at the at the end of the day, it's addressing the longer term, the, the deeper um, seated issues um, at play here. But in saying that, also being very careful not to um, sort of um, extrapolate and make this um, and turn it into a geopolitical context um, with with uh, a lot of the, the the regional states, for instance, acting as client states or laundering particular interest, because that will certainly debate uh, the situation rather than, than lead us towards a, a potential off-ramp. Um, so it's, it's a very delicate balancing of, under, of understanding the underlying issues, but I think it speaks to um, not only the neighborhood effects, the fact that um, we're now beginning to see um, autocratic and authoritarian governments taking a hold and um, not being able to really drill down to the key issues. So this, this idea of papering over the, the, the underlying issues and just framing it exclusively as a geopolitical contest, I think does no one um, any service really. Faith Mabira, thank you. Senior researcher at the Institute for Global Dialogue. Really do appreciate the time. My thanks also to Fahir Rahman Kone, head of the Sahel Project at the Institute of Security Studies. And starting us off today, uh, Kofi Kwako, the Africa Analyst at the University of Johannesburg Center for Africa-China Studies. Well... I hope you have a better understanding of the situation in Niger and why it's going to matter to pretty much everyone on our continent over time. That's it from us. We will see you tomorrow from Zelma, Stanza, Banyana, and do myself. Look after yourself. You are the SFM leading the conversation. It's nine o'clock.